All right, welcome back to the Radical Fabulatorium. I'm your host, John Adamian. Next up, I've got my chat with Michael Williams, former Much Music VJ, radio host, concert organizer, festival organizer, musician, producer. He does a little bit of everything. So when we first started chatting uh, over Google Meet, the wonderful technology, uh, so maybe the first 30 seconds uh, got cut off, but it just sounded a little strange. So basically all I was doing, though, was kind of fanboying out and thanking Michael for introducing me to so many cool bands as I was doing some research and some homework, getting ready for the conversation. Um, he introduced me through other interviews I'd, I was listening to, to so many cool bands, starting with The Pointed Sticks, Harmonium, Babe Ruth, Garland Jeffries, Willie Williams, The Dish Rags, uh, kind of sent me down this whole rabbit hole. So, um, yeah, when we first started talking, I was just kind of gushing and, and thanking him because it had been kind of a while. It had been a little while before uh, since I've done a deep dive on new artists to me. Now, not all these bands were new. They're, some of them are from the 70s. But it had been a little while before I... Um, it's, it's been a while since I kind of got addicted to a bunch of new bands all at once. And, you know, he gave me a whole... Uh, he's kind of responsible for a whole bunch of them lately. So... I really uh, appreciated that. All right, so here we go. My chat with Michael Williams. Enjoy. Nice to share that, and I'm really glad that you uh, that you enjoyed that. I'll give you more about the end. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that would be great. Um, sure. Because I know, uh, like, yeah, like I said, it sent me down a whole whole rabbit hole, and then uh, which I really appreciate, and it actually inspired me to kind of make a list, a playlist of local bands here in New Brunswick. So. Like the, the 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 show the documentary is coming to New Brunswick on October eighteenth, and uh, like a lot of things kind of skip over St. John, New Brunswick sometimes. So like I know we're all really thankful and, and pretty excited that you've decided to uh, to come. And maybe if you're like DJing a set or something at the show, you could you'd be able to introduce a bunch of people to. Oh yeah, to music. yeah. I guess yes. I'm not sure if I'm coming, in, but the tour. I think the tour is is the tour. The tour is coming there. Yes, and it I, is. I think I may be coming on that too. Uh, yeah, if you're so looking for I, it's reason. been a long time. It's been a long time since I've been to New Brunswick. I remember St. John, and it was uh, it was a really nice place. I I, uh, I had relatives. I had a, a brother-in-law who was in the RCMP, and uh, and we had to go out to St. Jacques to see him, okay. and uh, and it was just it was wonderful. So that took me on a, a drive through you know through Canada that I hadn't been. And it was it was just beautiful. I mean, I, I love the East Coast, and uh, it always has been so much fun for me. So I'm I'm looking forward. I, I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most is just going across Canada again and saying hello and saying thank you mm -hmm. because uh, people actually went down the rabbit hole and you know figured out, got some more music in their soul and in their heart and. You know, and a lot of it was Canadian music, and and some of it wasn't, but it was music in general. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. So I'm ready when you are. Yeah, perfect. Well, yeah, we're ready. I mean, I already got my tickets, so I had my tickets before these interviews were lined up. So, like I said, it's always oh, exciting cool. when something decides to come to St. John. So, um, that oh, actually, cool. That makes me wonder too. Like, I was wondering if you could talk more about your philosophies of commitment and kind of going like the importance of going all in when you decide to work on a project? Uh, well, it's, uh, gosh, I guess that comes from my mother. And uh, so much of what I do and have done and the philosophy of what I do comes from my family and my mom. Uh, my mom said, you know, you can do anything if you apply yourself, you know, wholly and fully. And, uh, and, um, Case in point, I wanted to play basketball. I, yeah, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and all of my friends played basketball and football and stuff like that. And, um, and there were things that sort of prohibited me from doing that, uh, just, but I did. And, uh, the first time I played football, I had no instruction. So I actually made a, uh, touchdown for the opposing team, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, uh, part of that was was due to family situations and stuff like that. But like I say, I had no proper instruction where that instruction should come from. And then uh, then I wanted to play basketball 
and I wasn't that good. And uh, my mom and dad said, oh, you want to do that? Yeah, okay. So uh, that fall, because I, I went to try out, didn't make it. I was kind of laughed at. And, um, and so my dad, that fall, my dad put a basketball net regulation height outside. Okay. Attached to the garage. Gave me a ball, and they said, "Get it, practice." And uh, and I did, and I practiced, and I practiced. And one thing about sports, I find, especially if you're playing it at home, mm-hmm. nobody comes to your yard and beats you <laughs> because you should know everything about your yard, mm-hmm. and you should know everything about every shot because you would have practiced, so you can hit it from wherever. If you practice, and I practiced, and I got to the point where I could stand in the street and do like a, a 30, 40 foot shot or something over the, uh, over the electrical wires, through the electrical wires, you know, yeah. and, and, and get in all net. Because I practiced all winter in the snow, in the rain, in the sleet. And there was a lot of snow, and I'd sometimes have to shovel and go practice. But it was a matter of having that dedication of wanting to do that, and that that always come back. You know, it may you may not get it the first time. Mm-hmm. Come back again. Mm-hmm. Come back again. Come back a third time. And that was similar with a lot of jobs that I had uh, as well that I didn't get at the first at the first shot. Much music wasn't that, but. The dedication that I had to my craft, radio, television, wanting to be in media, these are dreams that I had when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Money has a song called Wanna Be a Rock and Roll Star, which is one of my theme songs off his very first album. And the line goes, um, it, it's sort of a little break in the song, and he goes, uh, if I... Uh, if I worked in the hospital, I'd want to be the doctor. <laughs> yeah. If uh, you know, you know, uh, if I uh, if I worked in the army, I'd want to be a general. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and if I worked on a garbage truck, I'd want to be the driver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of it for me. And it wasn't a matter of ego. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of. I got this. I can do this if I applied. Now, let's finish the basketball story. Um, that spring or that next fall, when it was time to try out basketball, I had been playing in the gym, and the coach that didn't let me onto the team saw me and said, you better try out again. I tried out again, and I got that. Nice. You know, I got that, and I became good at it because I practiced, because I listened to my mom, and I didn't stop. I didn't quit when I didn't get it the first time. And mm-hmm. I didn't get frustrated. I just went back and went back and went back and practiced and also broke it down in more of a scientific way for my, for my brain and uh, figured it out for me. And that's what it always was, was figuring it out for me. And if I did that, then it became more or less a part of me. Mm-hmm. as opposed to some sort of foreign thing that I had no experience with. And once it became part of me, like music, uh, I could deal with it. And really, um, much music gave me the opportunity to take all the areas of music that I worked in. Which a lot of people don't know I work in production. I've produced or co-produced The Nylons with my partner, mm-hmm. uh, Brad Elf. And we were nominated for a Juno. I just did a two track a while ago. I did two tracks with Herb Alpert and Willie Williams. And uh, that just amazing because I just, I heard the music and I said, something's missing here. Give me 48 hours. And that's what I do. I take 24 to 48 hours and I solve problems mm-hmm. through critical thinking, uh, but also through the knowledge that I've gained or I go in my record collection. I go, hmm, hmm, hmm. And I immediately heard something was missing, but I want. And it was that Herb Alpert, he wanted brass down. And I called him, and he liked what we did, and called me back the next day. I was so excited. I got a call from Herb Alpert, and he calls me and says, hey, I like the track. What would you like me to do? And I said, Mr. Alpert, sir, 
I can't afford this phone call (laughs) 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 because he called me on my cell. And at that time, calling long distance on your cell was a fortune. And, but, but I'm going to endure here because I got Herb Alfred on the phone Mm -hmm. and I explained to him what I wanted him to do on the track. He did it. I had it two days later and it's a beautiful track. I'll send it to you. And it's just uh, never giving up, you know, which is like a real rock and roll theme as well. You know, so, I mean, what rock and roll band didn't get turned away? And then if you got turned away and you never came back, forget it. It means it never was yours. You got turned away and came back and kept trying to get better at it and make yourself uh, sort of beyond reproach in terms of your craft and your skill and wanting to do that, need that. If you're going to, boys and girls, if you're going to be in rock and roll, never stop, never quit, never surrender, and always go for the knowledge, make it a part of yourself then it's not a foreign entity. That way, when it becomes part of you, no one can take it away from you. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. That's really good advice, especially today where um, it's so easy for instant gratification and kind of that victimhood mentality can take over a lot of people and they give up really easily. I find that young people need that. I don't know if they're, it doesn't seem like they're getting it from their schools. It doesn't seem like they're getting it from their parents. But when I was a kid, I got it from my parents. Mm-hmm. I got it from, there was always one teacher, you know, there was always one teacher. And I gravitated towards those teachers that I, or anyone else that I could learn from. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I worked at three radio stations every day mm-hmm. from probably about the age of like about 14 to like when I graduated at 16. I had the, I started the um, radio club at my school, Collinwood High School. And we did the announcements in the morning, but because I did the announcements, I had access to the system and could make a half an hour radio show every morning between between eight and nine when we had to do the announcements and they gave me that freedom. So it was always coming up with ideas and ways to be creative within the confines of the box and parameters that I was given. Mm-hmm. And I always had to think in, in them, around them, and go, how do I still do this, give them what they want, but get what I need and do what I want creative. And it was always about that creative journey to get to where you felt satisfied as well. And also through that, you got to share music, stories, life, all of a sudden, those things like, uh, you know, you're bigger than I am, you're a different color than I am, you don't like this music, you're a different religion, all that stuff just went by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And it was all just music. And one of the fantastic things that I had was at the time that I grew up, every kid in my city saw the Cleveland Orchestra at least two to three times a year. What an inspiration that is, just to exposed to classical music, Mm -hmm. but upfront and personal where you can touch the instruments and you have those people explaining those instruments and how they play. We have a guy who came to school and we would just sit up around him and he pulled out two violins. He pulled out two violins. One was more of a violin, one was more of a fiddle. One was a Stradivarius, which is the most expensive instrument on the planet. And he played for us. And he says, listen to the sound. And there was a richness and a, uh, a royalty and a magic and a, a chistic sound coming off of this instrument. And then he says, now I'm going to play this other one. And that was more of a fiddle. And he played that and then the same thing. And he says, do you hear the difference? And mm-hmm. he could. And uh, then you would go to the Severance Hall where the orchestra played. And it was in the period of Leonard Bernstein in people's concert, which you can look up on YouTube. Fantastic. Seiji Ozawa continued that tradition, and so does, and so have Wynton Marcellus. Because when you get young people excited about music, and I got excited about music when I was a kid mm-hmm. from this, when you get them excited about music, it doesn't matter whether you're going to be the next Leonard Bernstein or the next Wynton Marcellus, but you have music in your life. What a wonderful thing to turn to in those moments and times of 
planned for the wrong reason because my girlfriend left me or I couldn't get this or I didn't get that job or whatever. Oh man, I'm, I'm messed up on drugs or drinking or whatever. And those moments will, could leave the planet for not a good reason. Mm -hmm. And you can turn to music. Whew, what a wonderful thing to have. Absolutely. What a wonderful thing to have because that may be the night that you write Stand By Me. That may be the night that you write paperback writer. That may be the night that you write She's Gone. If you write that one song for you, who knows? It could take over the world in a matter of time. It could be a great song. It could not be a great song, but it's you. And it kept you on the planet. And I think that's an important part of music, too, to give young people something to turn to. And say, you know what? Pick up that instrument and do something. Mm -hmm. You know, just pick it up and do something. Yeah, what are the blues about? That's what the blues is about. <laughs> you know, the blues is about, hey, man, it ain't a good day. I'm going to sing about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it. And there is a whole genre of music that kept people on this planet because they could sing about it. They could feel it in the music. And that was their soul. Mm -hmm. And everybody had that. So, well, I think know, it's important when you go. Well, you say about feelings, you know, like, uh, especially today where music is, is kind of commoditized, you know, with the algorithms and, and spewing out the next song that's kind of cookie cutter one after the other. But really what you just said, about the, it's all AI. about the feelings, isn't it? It's really about the music yeah. evokes emotion. That's really the point of it. Yes. When you, when you have a, a great artist, you can, you know, with a great song, uh, wow, it's incredible. And when someone else does that song, I mean, I grew up with all the classic songs from, you know, uh, Hoagie Carmichael and Tin Pan Alley, all the great jazz songs, all the great blues songs. But, um, I would, I learned music from, or less from my parents, from the radio. And back then, DJs actually had a choice. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that Eddie Money song was he said, when the DJ said there's more music coming your way, I always waited, mm -hmm. believed that more music coming my way. And I was that kid that I was that kid under the covers with my flashlight, with my comic books and my crystal you know, listening to um Hmm. Listening to, uh, oh, hang on, let me send that to voicemail. Listening to the waves of radio coming across, as Garland, Jeff Garland Jeffries would say, mm -hmm. music coming across the color line. You know, so it was like it was black, it was white, it was it was whatever it was. I mean, I I know uh, I know songs in the. Polish polka catalog mm -hmm. because where I grew up, Big Moose Chola, the guy who um, the guy who has won the uh, the polka category for like forever, lived down the road from me, right? And so nice. everybody knew. I don't want her. You can take her. She's too fat for me. The beer barrel polka, all of that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. and that was a wonderful cross cultural thing. Because with that came the sauerkraut, came the kielbasa, <laughs> came the polka doll, came Moose Cholock, and the, the uh, wrestler who after every match would say, I'm going down and I'm going to hang out at this hall and come on down and polka with me. Mm -hmm. And people did. Yeah. And so, you know, not that I went down and polka, but I understood it. And I felt it, and it was cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. It was across those color lines. All of my schools were integrated either by the teachers or by the students. Okay. And so I was never alone culturally, and the cultural melting pot and mosaic of America, I lived that. You know, my great-grandma was native. My, my grandfather was Cherokee. Um, and I didn't even know that until, gosh, uh, I didn't know that I was in much music okay. because my grandfather died. We found that out. So that was a whole different cultural thing that we go hold that we could go down. Wow. So it's been a wonderful experience. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to writing about it. I'm working on a book, believe it or not. It's been a while. I heard, yeah, I heard you talking about that in a previous interview and that makes me kind of excited to hear uh, because like you've got such an eclectic taste. I wanted to ask you actually, like, why do you think people get stuck in one genre of music where someone like yourself, you can clearly explain the importance of every genre and, and how they make you feel. 
but for some reason some people get stuck. I don't know if it's fear-based. I was kind of wondering what you thought about that. A lot of it is sort of, uh, it, but it's it's not so much fear-based. On the, on the part of the, well, okay, um, this is what I was told when I got into radio. And working at three radio stations a day, I got to see the creative best that the world had okay. because uh, the things that the people around me created were so long lasting. There was a station in Cleveland called WMMS. Mm-hmm. WMMS was voted the best rock and roll station for at least 40, almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got to hear that every day. And that station played everything from the Temptations to Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Rush, where I come from, we have Rush Day. And uh, when I left high school, the song was, Hey, babe, it's a quarter to eight. I think I'm in the mood. Mm-hmm. Right? That was our party song. That started the party. So we didn't grow up that way. Gentle Giant was just as important as Duke Ellington. Okay. And they shared music. They shared the culture of that music. Mm-hmm. And uh, radio uh, has always had a difficult time uh, doing that. So you think it's okay? The and I'm told I don't know. Well, uh, radio is sort of like the dog that eats his tail. I was told when I got into radio by my mentor and best friend Enos Lynn Doyle, the man that spent time with me, and also I spent so much time with him. And doing those three at those three radio stations, I would start at school in the morning then after basketball practice I would go to a classical station and I worked there where I was an editor and an uh, engineer or producer and uh, and I also duplicated shows of that went around the world mm-hmm. so I got to hear all this music as I was editing and stuff and as I'd be working on it I'd take all the copies to send around the world and always a copy for myself mm-hmm. I always wanted to understand something whether I liked it or not I wanted to understand why it was classic, why it was good, and people liked it. And then uh, the first radio station, WMCR, which was the predecessor to WMMS, so I had access to radio talent that was unlimited mm-hmm. and broadcast talent that was unlimited. So I was extremely lucky. But my mentor, Ian Doyle, said, you think that radio stations love music he says they love money Mm -hmm. and they play songs so that they can play the commercial between the songs Mm -hmm. he said if they could play mary had a little lamb all day and get a and get a 10 share that big marketplace 10 share that they would and he says they only play the music to play the commercials because the commercials where they make money. And he said if they could play commercials all day and still attention and make their money, that would be fine by most of them. They have no allegiance to music. They have an allegiance to money. So like television and radio, we think, oh, you have a great show and these people really care. Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But the commercials are the, all, are the almighty entity. And the commercials run the, uh, you know, the rat around the week. So, and also pays for that. Mm-hmm. So the popular you are every 15, every quarter hour, the more they can charge for advertising. Without that, there is no real radio. You're looking at PBS or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there is always this sort of this uh, odd, altruistic sort of, uh, uh, you know, entity to media where uh, sometimes the actual music and the performance and the performer are part of that lost leader to mm-hmm. get to the almighty dollar. And so that's, that's part of it. And then, you know, all of the politics that we see on television and all of the politics that may be in your community, or whatever, whether it has to do with race or linguistic uh, racism or gender, all, all of that stuff comes in play and it actually shouldn't so a lot of it is based on fear and a lot of it is based on uh things that just don't matter because when a song touches you you know bob marley's you know realize me with music 
hit me with music now and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the way that, that I always felt, man, I wanted to, when I got that first Neil Young album, everybody knows that it's nowhere. When I got Neil Young and everybody knows it was nowhere, those two records, I was like every kid in my neighborhood was like, Oh, Whoa, I got to learn Cinnamon Girl. I got to learn Down by the River. I got to learn these songs because there was just a magic that jumped off the wax. Mm -hmm. When I got Black Sabbath, the first two records, first three records, I was absolutely in heaven and had to learn how to play those songs. There was just something about the music that that hit me and I saw it with other kids in my neighborhood be they black brown white whatever you know male female there was something that hit us all that we could share that had nothing to do with our parents mm -hmm. and that was that's what rock did you should see the the little Richard film I believe it's called I am uh, a film about little Richard that they did on CNN and you will understand that rock and roll was Little Rich. Chuck Berry was important. Mm -hmm. Elvis was never important. But Little Richard, the quasar of rock and roll, the star out there, mm -hmm. Little Richard was the most important performer and writer. And, and he was everything. He was black. He was gay. He was, uh, he was incredible has a musician, has a songwriter, and like Ronnie Hawkins, everybody played in his band. Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix played in his band. Who didn't play? The Beatles played in his band. He taught everybody how to play the music that he more or less invented, refined, and reinvented again. Like an Ike Turner, but even more. Mm -hmm. Little Richard was just magnificent, and people don't know the importance of Little Richard and what he they have no clue. Mm -hmm. And this film shines on it. Just like I think this film coming up shines a light on on much music and mm -hmm. what it was to a, to a great extent. And I This first by Sean Menard, I haven't seen it, but I understand it's really great and I'm really looking forward to it. And there were others that done that from different perspectives, uh, mine, or other people that worked at Much Music, or other people that look inside this and say, this entertained us for a really long time. This was really friendly to music, unlike radio. There's always a politic with radio in terms of why they play something or why they don't. I know because I've worked on the inside at CKGM, at Shum FM, at Shum FM, and seen why they play things and why they don't. There's never a good reason mm -hmm. not to play music. <laughs> there is never a good reason. So, uh, so I when think you came, that it's going to be an interesting thing. Absolutely, and mm -hmm. like it, when you came to Much Music, like you were already like a veteran of presenting uh, music of different genres. So, I mean, Much Music kind of filled mm -hmm. that gap, right? You had the kind of you had the freedom to to kind of show your personality and yourself in the in the selection of music you were displaying. Well, I I always I I do that whether I'm allowed to or not. You know, <laughs> you got me, you got me. I'm going to go into this, find out what you want me to do, and then you're going to find out what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make sure that those two things line up so that it can seamlessly happen. And it was a matter of knowledge. Some people were broadcasters, uh, like J.D. Roberts and mm -hmm. myself. Uh, I had, uh, I'm also a performer and a musician and uh, a journalist. So I brought all of that to the table. I have a degree in communications from Loyal at the time, Concordia now, uh, from communication studies. Mm -hmm. And um, I worked, like I said, I worked in media from, uh, I started writing in elementary school. I started radio in junior high school and high school. And uh, I also DJed has I they were called sock hops then mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. you know and I programmed all sorts of music at school bands and stuff in university so uh, when I got to uh, I remember up with people where I was a performer and performed around the world so everything that was was a part of me to a great extent well, was a live thing or real thing or whatever, and I got to bring all that experience to much music and to use that in my presentation 
And uh, so when Foreigner comes, I'm quite familiar that Nick Jones was a member of Spooky Tooth and worked with Johnny Holiday in France, where he really developed his style of playing and his, uh, his style of songwriting. And that was great to talk to him about. And because of that, Foreigner came in, I asked him to play live. And when they played live, and we had done the whole piece on Much Music, which was originally done at 99 Queen, he looked at the piece and said, I really enjoyed that. Take that tape. I'd like to get a copy of that tape and send it to MTV mm-hmm. to show them what we think we should do on our live acoustic show with them. Mm-hmm. Do you mind? Absolutely not. And so it was, uh, it was great. And to have a crew, like when I joined Much Music, I was told three things. We have no money. <laughs> we have tape. <laughs> And we have airtime, mm-hmm. and it's the best out of those things, and absolutely did. Much music was the best training in television I could possibly get, like uh, WMMS and WNCR, uh, CKLW, WABQ, WJMO, all of those stations were the best training in radio because the radio guys were magnificent. And when I got to Much Music, and they gave me the parameters. Oh man, I'm going, yeah, this is great. You know, because once they know that you love the job so much that you would do it for free, Mm -hmm. they got you. (laughs) And also the job has got you too. And without that restriction of, I got to make this, I got to do this. You're going for what feels good and what's in front of you, what you can make of it. And they let me make, they let me make magic. And I will be ever grateful for that because um, I got to present music to a nation also. I think that I helped, and much music helped, obviously, to change the face, the color, the gender, and the sound of music on the radio, you know? And that was really important because we opened it up to an extent. And without much music, it's kind of closed down a little bit. But, hey, you know, there's a lot of things on the radio now that weren't before. And um, unfortunately, radio is just not as adventurous as we could be. And it could be, but we, we had power to, uh, when I walked in one day, I would always, every day, I'd go into the music library and I'd find something new and interesting. Mm-hmm. And one day I walk in, there's a girl who lived around the corner from my parents and uh, she had a new record out. And I heard it. And the song was called Fast Car, and that was Tracy Chapman. And I remember playing that for the very first time Mm -hmm. before anybody had seen it or before it came a hit. And I go into the library and I listen, wow, this is great. I got to play this. Mm -hmm. Played it. Next thing you know, it blows later. I had the freedom to do that. And even when I didn't have the freedom to do that, I would figure out how to do it. So I designed Soul in the City. Uh, so it was originally a radio show in Montreal on CGM called Club 980. The Soul of the City was the show, but that, that's the show that I developed from a kid listening to the radio in my bedroom to whenever. That was the way that I related to music. Mm-hmm. And so it's multi-genre. It was this, that. There were restrictions in my, in my music Canada catalog. And that's what much music allowed me to develop on Soul in the City, Rap City, Power Hour, mm-hmm. Soft and Romantic, yeah. uh, and any other show that I could or would do. And it let me bring my whatever it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, be it magic, feeling, or consciousness to it. Mm-hmm. And I had and people helped me on that journey so that I could be I could do what I want, but also they were translated into television and bang. Mm-hmm. Because radio is a solitary thing. Yeah. I would go into a room and I would just combust just me and my records and that's what I loved about radio and that's why radio will always be the best job I've ever had because it was just me. Mm-hmm. Television, you got thirty people for you that signal gets to you in New Brunswick or to you in Vancouver, or to you in L.A. Yeah. And people have to sort of work on, like a, a robot or a machine in unison yeah. to make that happen. Mm-hmm. That, so doing in that process, 
you have to push it through the machine. Yeah. And if it gets to the same thing on the other side, you're quite lucky. And I was quite lucky and we all watched much music, no matter who it was, Erica or JD or Rick the Temp or anyone had been on the air. Uh, they had these certain goals. People just wanted to do the job and introduce shows and become something else and all of that. I don't know what happened at Much Music once passed, but when I was there, yeah, I ruled my roost and I had certain things that I wanted to do and certain communications that I wanted, and I wanted those waves across the color line. I didn't want any barriers to people accepting not only each other, but music as well. And to me, music was the way the tool that I used to, to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came to Canada, I, uh, when I came to Canada in 1972, 73, around that time, I visited in 72 to go to Loyola and check out the school because Marshall McLuhan was going to be uh, the head of the department, the communications department, before he passed. He passed, but I said, wow, if he was going to work there, then mm -hmm. it must be a pretty cool school. Came back in, uh, came back in 73 to start school in January, but in 72 when I was there in Montreal for not an hour. And I go with friends downtown that evening um, and go to like, we want to go to four or five clubs. Four or five clubs would not let me in because of the color of my skin. Wow, yeah. They, and, and so... Uh, I thought that was very odd. And I said, oh, I, I have to do something about this. Yep. This was kind of odd. And I kind of swore to myself under my breath that someday those places would actually pay me to come in. Mm -hmm. Let me come in and let people let me come in. Because what am I going to do? I don't know, but I'm going to do what I do when I do music. Now, the fifth or sixth club, one of them, again, it was called the Lorelei. And I walked in because I was kind of like, well, oh, I don't know whether I should stay here because it's kind of funky, you know. Mm -hmm. But that last clip that let me in, I walked in and I found people. <laughs> there was there was a drag show on stage. There was a two by my mentor, Gil Scott Heron, blaring at Earbleed Volume, my favorite song of the day. And everybody was loving and enjoying the music. It was gay. It was straight. It was strange. Game smoke. There were people on roller skates. It looked like a rock and roll circus or a disco circus mm -hmm. uh, that had I had never seen all in one place, happening place with a horsehair floor, so your your legs don't get tired and you want to dance all night mm -hmm. like the film they shoot horses, don't they? And it was just a, that last place is what kept me in Canada and kept me in Montreal because it was sort of like, yeah, maybe the other places were stupid. We'll take care of that too on the process, you know, of going to wherever we're going and whatever we're going to be. But yeah. And so by the time I left Montreal, I didn't have to pay to go into anywhere. I was part of the fabric of the music there and the music industry. Mm -hmm. And so Lindy on and I sort of used to grow, you know, we would run <clears throat> to each other in her office. Uh, in old Montreal, mm -hmm. and the last time, you know, years ago, before much music, and while I was at Shome FM, we'd wind up dancing till four o'clock in the morning to ACDC in her office, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so it was just, Montreal turned out to be the most wonderful place, and like I say, Babe Ruth was a hit in Cleveland, Babe Ruth was a hit in Montreal. And so the music from Cleveland to Montreal was quite similar, quite eclectic, and quite wonderful. And so the things that we loved, be it Water, water well, Weather Report or Chick Free and Return to Forever, they loved. Mm -hmm. Whether it was Gentle Giant or Genesis, Pink Floyd, they loved. And we had loved it in, in Cleveland. I worked the Dark Side of the Moon tour in Cleveland and it was fantastic and I go to Montreal and they lived for this stuff. so all the negative there was so much positive. I had to stay and and staying in Canada was uh, one of the best decisions that I made because there are times where you can always go to Los Angeles or mm -hmm. New York and I went to those places and I lived in New York with my dad I lived in LA with my mom 
she worked uh, there. And um, But I came back to Cleveland always, and it was just like a musical touchstone for me. And then Montreal became the same thing. It became magic through music, and, uh, and that all led to much music and sharing not only my knowledge, but my feelings. And, mm-hmm. and I had traveled across Canada. I worked with a group called The Pointed Sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, their album, Perfect Youth, was the very first album that Bob Rock, full album that Bob Rock produced. Mm-hmm. Now, awesome you know, Bob Rock is, yeah, and Bob Rock has done Metallica, mm-hmm. Inter Sandman, all of that stuff. Well, his very first band was a band from Vancouver, and uh, the, actually the Paolas, were their opening band, okay? They opened for the Pointed Sticks and they launched the Perfect Youth album. And I was blessed to have been working, working with them. And the magic for me too was long before much music, I did lasers and uh, worked on the road. And after I had done a laser show with Triumph uh, and I was on my way to doing a laser show with Rush, I went to Vancouver. I walked the last day in Vancouver. I walked into a record store on West Fourth called Quintessence Records, called Zulu Records. Mm-hmm. I walked into that store like Phantasmagoria in Montreal. There was a whole wall of just local music, mm-hmm. and I I went down that rabbit hole immediately because back then we could listen to records in the store on headphones, yep. which was great. And I listened to everything, and I said. This is great. Who owns the store? Oh, he's upstairs. Ted Thomas. I'm not to see him. I go up and see him. I, when I left his office, he gave me all the product, and he said, look, we have to promote this, which was the Point of Stick album, and it hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. He says, I want you to listen to this, and then tell me what you think, and we have to promote this across Canada. Can you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I can do this, but let me listen to the product. And I was saying, stay. I had a little tape machine before all of the other tape machines, Walkmans and stuff. And I had a little big deck and I had a big phone. I'm on the plane at that point. didn't know about these things. It wasn't as electronic as the stuff that we have now. Mm -hmm. So I could listen to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe when I left the record store, I I landed from Vancouver to Montreal. I immediately went across. I got off the plane, called them, and I said, I love it. And they said, we're sending you a ticket. I had a job. The job was not predicated on the color of my skin, but the knowledge in my brain and the passion in my heart for the music. And that's what's gotten me through life. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. I feel like a lot of a lot of people are um, like when I think about. I wonder. I kind of wonder if people are forgetting that they should be inspiring people or inspiring the next generation. Maybe they're thinking they need to be. Sometimes I think they do. Yeah. Sometimes I think they more exploit them. And inspire them. Not my thing. My thing is uh, um, music education, mm-hmm. uh, be it uh, formally in a school or out on the road and playing. I've met a lot of musicians. I work with young musicians. One of them has just written a couple songs for Don Legend, mm-hmm. and he's on the road. I've been working with him since age of 10. And giving him things to listen to and inspiring him that way mm-hmm. and, and take with you know, this kid comes and I get a call from someone who says, you know, my son really likes music and stuff like that. He's 10. And, uh, and I'm talking to the kid. The kid at 10 knew Parliament Funkadelic Maggot Brain, nice. which is the quintessential post-handed flack. It's, mm-hmm. it's, about, it's about 10 minutes of just absolute magic. And not only did the kid know the song because he discovered it, it's how to play it. I said, I got to work with this kid. Mm-hmm. And it's T.J. Whitlock. And uh, it's only a guitar player, but he's a great songwriter. And he now has a song on the brand new, he has one song, I think, on the brand new John Lennon. He worked with Jason Sachs and a lot of other folks. And he's played with Babyface. And uh, it's about, if you can't inspire the next generation, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And musicians need fellowship. And they need uh, the culture of music and that needs to be shared from great musicians to young musicians mm-hmm. who want to be great, mm-hmm. but also want to play the music properly. And 
one artist you should look at is uh, Jordan John. He is incredible. His father, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame okay. five times. Wow. He, he played with Lou Reed, Alice Cooper, Chris Brown, uh, Parliament, Funkadelic, George Clinton, and that's just where he starts. Mm-hmm. And he's a wonderful cultural exercise because he's a kid that came from Mumbai. Oh, came okay. to Canada, came to Canada, heard black music and went, holy shit, what's this? Mm-hmm. And it just grabbed him by the throat. And by the time he was done, he not only played with all these people, but the inspired folk. Mm-hmm. And the best story I have about those two individuals is that they were playing in Yorkville in Toronto, the small club about 50 mm-hmm. people. Fred heard about when he was living in Toronto. He heard and he knew who Prakash John was from the Rock and Roll Animal album with Lou Reed. His band was mostly Canadian that Prakash put together. And when I heard that Rock and Roll album, that Rock and Roll Animal album, kind of changed my life and concepts of music that I had because the band did something that was just, it, it took Sweet Jane and just made it into an epic opus mini symphony. And uh, I'm sure Prince would have been affected by that record. I know I heavily was. Mm -hmm. And uh, Prince heard he was playing in town. Prince goes down to that little place in New York, sees the plane. I said two of them. And uh, Prakash on bass, Portland vocals and guitar, Prakash on vocals with him. And the place would have been packed, as it always was. Prince stayed for about five minutes, got back in his limo, went home, picked up his guitar, came back, pulled up a chair, opened his guitar case, plugged in, played for three hours with them, did not sing, did not do anything but play with them. And at the end of it, didn't have, they didn't speak much. You know, I'm sure they laughed. They didn't speak much, mm-hmm. but they played for three hours. Wow. Right? He put this guitar back in after that. Prakash never sees or hear from it. Next thing you know, he's doing his last tour, the microphone, the piano and mic tour, where he passed away. Mm-hmm. Well, at the beginning of that tour, Prakash gets a call out of the blue. It's Prince. I love your sound that you had in that place. And I want you to come out and recreate that sound for me in the calls I'm going to. So I'm going to play, and I want you to walk around the room, and I want you to fine-tune my sound with me. He came, he did that for the first three or four days, and then he had to come home. And uh, that is, you know, that is the culture of music. That's the magic of music. That's the beauty of music. And, you know, this is a guy from Mumbai with a guy from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. The only culture that they know and share is the culture of music. And that's what I think much music did was that we inspired a lot of people, Velvet Underground. Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, they only sold maybe 50,000 records a year long. Mm-hmm. You know, 20,000, 10 or 15,000 at the time. But all of those 20,000, those 10, 15,000, all of those people started bands. <laughs> all of those people were inspired by those yeah, records. Absolutely. It's like listening to Miles Davis or listening to John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. It doesn't inspire you to, to at least listen, then there's there's a problem and there's so much great music. And the cool thing about much music is that I can have Terrence Blanchard on my show on Soul in the City or just come in and play. My very first day of music was captured and this was sort of the, the largest or the music that uh, I wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. The very first day I interviewed, I walked in, I hadn't been there for 10 minutes. I walked in, I interviewed Run DMC, whom I had been familiar with because in my radio show in Montreal, Club 980, was killing their first record. Mm-hmm. We just killed it. It hit rock box, and it's like that, and everything else on that record was a hit in Montreal because I was the only person in the country playing that record. So I was familiar with them. I would have talked to them. They had been to Montreal, and I walked in, interviewed them, beautiful it was great and it was pretty seamless this is my first day this is my tryout Mm -hmm. right after right after 
he, they, we finished with them. We're uh, just sort of standing there talking. Lou Reed comes in. Lou Reed, the Lou Reed from mm-hmm. Velvet Underground, was not having a good day. And his best friend was a friend of mine. And I said to him, how is Garland? And he looks at me and says, you know Garland Jeffries? I said, absolutely. My very first interview in New York City was with Garland Jeffries when I was in university. I flew and did that and came back. And he said, well, you know Garland? I said, yeah. All of a sudden, that scowl on his face melted. And he was all different Lou Reed. He was a friendly Lou Reed. (laughs) You listen to the music and look at the album covers, you're thinking... This guy's got a switchblade, and he's going to stab me if I don't do this properly. Yeah. And uh, he was magnificent. And then I turned to him, and I said, Run DMC was still there. I said, you guys know each other? No. I said, DMC, Kings of Rock, the MC Higher, and that record hadn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. The Run DMC, you know, from Queens, you know, this is Lou Reed from Man, you know. Yeah. And I introduced them. For the very first time, and they lived in the same city and didn't know each other. Yeah. That was the magic of much music to me, and that was the magic of what I wanted to do, and that was the magic that made me want to work there because all the people around me facilitated that. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was do it mm-hmm. and, and have a mind to do it, and anything I wanted to do, I could pretty much do and have him to do as long as i harm no animals mm-hmm. in the process mm-hmm. it was a good thing to do and that's what the audience got and i hope all of that is on film and i hope people remember but i just want to say thank you to canada so i'm working on a tour to do that outside of this mm-hmm. and it starts with this so i'm going across the country with the film and i ever started to see the audience again and we'll be back a couple more times before it's all over for me. But um, it's a it's a great thing to have been able to use it. And unfortunately, there's nothing like that now. No. Because, it's, um, you know, by talking to you, see that there is no now a lot of people and a lot of adults wish Oh, they, you have influencers now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But you have a lot of things that people follow other than Howard Stern, you know, and he has the power to do whatever he would like to do. And I think he's even gotten better, you know, before I wouldn't listen too much. Now I do. He's got Springsteen on there and stuff, and he's gotten incredibly because he has the, you know, the power to do what every DJ would have wanted to do. And I was, oh, Yes. Artists, great artists on your show coming and performing live mm-hmm. and talking and sharing their experience with the experience with the audience and with you and sharing that knowledge. No got questions, no BS, no mm-hmm. who you're sleeping with and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was never the interest for me, the gossip and all that. No, I don't do that. You've never seen me do that. But in terms of music, I go along far and wide, man, and uh so that's back to the beginning I get to share my knowledge mm-hmm. my creativity my culture and I also share in your words and I learn so mm-hmm. it's a learning process back and forth you don't have that a lot now no. you have a lot of stuff being pushed at you yeah. right but one not way. a lot of stuff being yeah one way and interactive is no longer interactive interactive is how can we make money on mm-hmm. this <laughs> you know that's sort of what it is, and uh, much music definitely wasn't about the money because, like I said, we didn't have any. Mm-hmm. But it began to make money, and uh, um, you know, God bless Moses, mm-hmm. Nancy Oliver, who's there at the beginning with John Martin, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. John Martin and Nancy they helmed the show called Music, which mm-hmm. eventually and became. Um, much music and Christopher Ward with City Limits. Mm-hmm. That was also a big part of Much Music. Then later it was he with Soul in the City, which actually encompassed Rap City. Mm-hmm. And they were all sort of in the same show. And that was the radio show that I had done. And the idea of putting it on television and seeing what it looked like as a television show. Then we put them as separate shows. 
There was Rap City. There was Soul in the City. Soul in the City, Rap City, the Power Hour, for the three most successful shows in the history of much music until it finished. So I was very happy about that. And I wrote The Electric Circus uh, and co-hosted that with Monica Dio. Mm -hmm. and, and I left that show. And then she changed and made it more into what she wanted it to be. But I eventually wrote uh, the pilot and hosted the show for quite a while with her, then handed it over to her. And uh, it became a life of itself for dance music. So mm -hmm. any type of music that you were into, you could find on much music, even uh, country, obviously. Uh, was a big part of things too. I was always a country fan myself. Mm -hmm. Did Reba McIntyre, Randy Travis, all of that. Uh, but you could find those little places that you wanted to go for the things that you knew and mm -hmm. enrich your knowledge and take to the next level of that. But you could sit there and explore stuff that you didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that was the, and it was quite passive. And we'd say, this is it. Let me explain it to you. And you can make the decisions. But Hey, here's the music, here's the and it was better than it was better than radio. It was always better than radio because the the breadth of music, the the distance, the width of music, mm -hmm. the bandwidth of the music was so huge mm -hmm. that uh, radio would just <laughs> radio. Oh my God, you're playing that? Yeah, yeah, we're playing Fishheads by that <laughs> Vancouver band. Yeah, once again, we're going yeah. to play. We're going to play DOA. We're going to play whatever. And Morbid if you can angel. make it to, yeah, yeah. If you if you can make it to music mm -hmm. with your video, oh, you knew we were going to play it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that was guaranteed. So just to sit down and talk to you, and to be able to face on, and I hate the word branding, but to put a face on, to be it was an honor mm -hmm. to be allowed to expected to and to put a face on Canadian music mm -hmm. you know to, to put names and faces to the music and also to recreate it past Canadian content and to share that with Canada uh, and Canadian musicians and be able to give them form to put their music out there mm -hmm. was uh, and it was magnificent and I think Musically, we changed the world, mm -hmm. you know, because we gave Canadian music as a platform that they never had at radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, and by their having their success, that changed the world, which led to things like, like, you know. So I think it was very important to give the musicians the hope that they could and they and they always jumped to the mark. And it was a beautiful thing. It was mm -hmm. a very beautiful thing. Looking forward to the film. And I'm looking forward to being out there. Absolutely, yeah. And it's nice to hear you it's nice to hear you mention so much about the music because I've interviewed a handful of people for this documentary and just in general. And there's not mm -hmm. a lot of people who are offering musical suggestions, but kinda like what I mentioned at the beginning, like you've given me a dozen bands that have like I've listened to them and they've spoke to me. It kind of makes me wish, like, you could come in when you come to St. John, if you could take over our college radio station and just kind of DJ for the day and be like, here, everyone, here's an education in all these bands. Dude, well, I mean, there. you know, I, I don't know what time I get there or whatever, but there's no flies to me. That sounds like fun. I would love to do that everywhere. I mean, I would take over any radio station that would let me take it over in the time that I have. And if, uh, if the time isn't enough, Dude, I can do it remotely, or I can. If there's a to come back and do that, I'd do it. Yeah, I would do it hands down. You know, absolutely, and uh, you know, and sh and just share that. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I can go and play what I want. That's the whole thing. Absolutely, I don't do video unless I can play what I want or what I feel I need to play the audience that I'm playing it for. Mm -hmm. I also DJ in clubs and stuff like that. I'm opening act for the spoons and different acts. I go out and DJ with them. And I also go out and perform with them on occasions too. Witches in Vogue, The Spoons, HB Concept, Poison, Brett Michaels and Poison. I sang with them. And most people don't know that I'm a musician or that I even can perform. So they're quite surprised when I do. So if you work it out at the college station, man, uh, we can see what time I come in and stuff like that. Um, I do it. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it would be really inspiring. I know. I mean, it's a little selfish on my end because, like I said, um, I've got like a whole, I've got a couple weeks here worth of music to dive in on my own personal <laughs> adventure. Uh, mm-hmm. But I figure if it speaks to me, it's probably going to speak to a to a lot of folks. So it's it's great hearing. Well, and it's, hearing that passion. It's, you know what? It's hearing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a song by Pharaoh Saunders called Tim called Astral uh, called Astral Traveling off the album Timby. And that song was recreated by Santana, Caravan Barrage. And he gave it a different name, but it's a song. So he was inspired by that. Pink Floyd was inspired by Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, a song called Blue Green, I believe. And so there was all these wonderful connections of music that people don't know. They're more interested in profit that Mm -hmm. they gain from separation than the knowledge that they gain from coming together. Mm-hmm. So if we can come together with music, I'm, I'm with it. Whether I have to send you a show, uh, that's a two to three to whatever, but I'd love to be there and do it live on the radio. Absolutely. And maybe we can figure something out, you know? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're uh, always looking for me, shows to syndicate anyway, so like overnight or something like that, we, uh, we're always looking for stuff. Overnight is the perfect place to be, man. That's where I started out on Show Met then, mm-hmm. overnight and playing requests and stuff. It's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got what you should do then is send me uh, right down this. Let me give you my email. Sure. Okay. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll edit this out of the, I'll edit this do you have Do you have my email? Did they give you my email? No, I've just been talking to Eric through his email. Okay, so what you do is you get my information from Eric. Send him a copy of this. Get my information from Eric. This way I don't put email and no, yep. on, on and uh, the information from Eric and let's stay in touch you can always hit me up at Facebook as well um, Instagram I don't look at it I've got that mm-hmm. and uh, let's see what we can do about a radio show I'll definitely come in I definitely hands down all I need is the time and we'll figure it out. Okay. okay? Yeah. And I'll, All right, uh, man. That'd be perfect. I'll send you a, a compilation. I made a little playlist of New Brunswick artists, too. I'd love to get your feedback on some of them. Because the local scene's kind oh, of bubbling absolutely. up. It's, it's a pretty exciting time right now in St. John. So. Well, and so it should be. And, and so it should be. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward, because I haven't heard a lot of artists from New Brunswick uh, over, the, over the last few years, because I haven't been out there. Mm-hmm. I've been most, mostly out west. And there's one artist out west you should check out. She's like um, a Buffy St. Marie sort of type okay. artist. She's indigenous. Her name is Violet Wolf. Violet Wolf. Okay. Violet, Violet Wolf. Wolf. I was very excited by what I, I heard from her. And uh, and then there's all and then there's another group, Skylab Sounds, out in uh, out in DC on Vancouver Island. They used to be called Greenlaw. Okay. But they are now called Skylab Sounds with Oz and uh, and his wife, Skyla. Okay. And they're great. HB Concept, good band. I work without a lot in BC. He's Jimmy Hendrix's cousin. Oh, cool. And, and he does all the vocals on Hendrix tours that the estates do. Okay. Uh, and, of course, if you've never heard Buddy Miles do Down by the River by Neil Young, you should enjoy, you should have that experience. Two versions on the album, Them Changes, with mm-hmm. Walter Rossi, Montreal guitar player who passed away, who was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And um, and go to the Buddy Miles live album as well and check oh, out awesome. Down by the River. Okay. Buddy Miles was one of the most important drummers in music, and he never gets his due. And he finished uh, his career recording in Canada with Bobby Curtola, no less. And uh, so that's a good place to start, man. And uh, you, I think you will enjoy that. And uh, I will also, uh, I'll get your information from Eric, make sure that you give it to him, yep. and I'll send you the Herb Alpert tracks. Yes. Actually, if you, go to, if you go to iTunes, mm-hmm. the record is called, the artist is called Willie Williams, mm-hmm. and the record is called Reggae, can't done and on that album there's three tracks there's uh two tracks one track called 
one more step or one more. That features her and Albert. And then at the end of the album, there's a track called Stepping, which is the instrumental dub version of that, which again features Herb Albert. Oh. And there's another track on it called Back Way, W-E-H. That's uh, that festival too. And the new album from Jason Wilson, everything from Jason Wilson is just great. But he has a new album, uh, Jason Wilson and Dara. And uh, that's just coming out next week. And so that's all Canadian music that people don't know or should know. So you have fun with that. Yeah. And, uh, and we will talk again. Make sure, like I say, make sure to get Eric and uh, I will give him permission to give you my information. No problem. Okay. okay? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, man. I'll see, I'll see you when I get to New Brunswick. Yeah, we'll be waiting for you. Thanks a lot uh, for your time, Michael. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you for the call. Sorry about being late, All good. but you know, late than never. And uh, I'm glad it was uh, it was worth it to you. It was definitely worth it. And say hey to everybody in New Brunswick. And uh, if you're in school, stay in school, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in school because while you're in school, you can learn so much. It's going to help you, and it's not all in the classes. <laughs> you know. All right. I completely you agree. Take good care. Excellent. Thanks all a lot. Right, Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.